morning. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> How are you guys? You're looking great. I just sense um, an anticipation for what the Lord is going to do in this service. First service was a fantastic one. I know that this is going to go over the top because you're here and you are expectant. And uh, man, you guys are looking so good. I see a lot of new guests that I've not yet had the opportunity to meet. My wife, Carrie, and I would love to meet you after service if you can stay for a few minutes. And then some of you have been coming here for years and I've still not met you. If you could just stay for a few minutes after service, we would love to meet you as well. Follow me. I love to have our congregation stand in honor of the reading of God's word. So I'll, I'll start off with that. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demon had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Luke 8, 26 through 39. I believe that is a big story. Amen. That is a big, big thing. I mean, they thought that this man was a lost cause. They thought he had, he had lost his mind. They thought that there was no hope for him. This is a, a big deal. He, he'll never be well. He'll never be able to function in society. Heck, we'll never be able to get clothes back on this guy. 
this is a big deal, but I know that Jesus has a way of making the impossible possible. I know that Jesus has a way of making the unreasonable reasonable, the insane sane, the absurd absurd. The title of my sermon today is When Pigs Fly, When Pigs Fly. Father, we just come before you today. I thank you so much for what you're doing in this room. You are a God of big things. Even now in this room, I just sense in the spirit some things are shifting. Some hearts are shifting. Some frameworks are shifting. Some mindsets are shifting. Unforgiveness is shifting. The bedrock of our life is shifting. God, I just thank you right now that you're doing big things among us. We will never know the fruit of this moment until eternity. Because you, God, are a big God who does big things. We give you full permission in this moment to destroy confusion in the room. To destroy unbelief and doubt in the room. We give you full permission to destroy insecurity in the room. We give you permission to destroy fear that is among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say amen. Before you sit down, why don't you meet somebody new? A lot of people have joined us during worship. Meet somebody and then you may be seated. How many of you are ready for God to do some big things in your life? A few of us. Very good. Just a, just a little bit. Good. Um, no, I... I believe that's true. I, I definitely want God to do big things in my life. And, and today, as I close out this series of Follow Me, I, I actually believe that you can't follow him without big things following you. And so I want to talk to you for a moment today. My talk in the next 23 minutes is, is about big things. So I pulled some stories from the Internet. I did some very reliable research on Google. And here are some stories of big things in the area of lottery winners, lottery winners. Now, this is not an endorsement for lottery. I'm not suggesting that you'll get your winning numbers by spending time with Jesus or any of that. I'm just relaying the stories. Evelyn Adams. It's hard to believe the luck of Evelyn Adams. She didn't just win the lottery. She won it twice. The two prizes in 1985 and 1986, respectively, totaled an impressive $5.4 million. Woohoo! Come on, somebody. That is a lot of money. Adams took her money, unfortunately, and dropped it into the slot machines of Atlantic City one quarter at a time. She lost it all. And beginning in the 21st century, she was back in the same mobile home she started in. 5.4 million. That's a lot of quarters. That is a lot. I bet her biceps were huge. <laughs> Denise Rossi. Denise, perhaps the biggest hint that your marriage is over is when your wife hides the fact that she won the lottery. Denise won the lottery, and shortly after winning $1.3 million in 1996, she quietly filed for divorce so that her husband would not know she won. Unfortunately, though, for her, it's against the law to conceal your assets, and a judge handed all of her winnings over to her ex. Come on, somebody. There is justice in the world. 
Baby, if you ever want to, never mind. If you want to divorce me and win the lottery, just don't tell me, please. Judge Jonathan, Var- Jonathan Vargas. So only 19. Any 19-year-olds in the house? 19. 19 here. Don't worry, first service, we had several middle-aged women raise their hand as well. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we literally did. I asked for, okay, there were no 19-year-olds, so I expanded the range to 18 to 21, and hands went up all over the place. I was like, all right, I see you. Jonathan Vargas was only 19 when he won $35 million on the Powerball. $35 million. Wow, and he was impressionable. It probably didn't help when considering investment opportunities. That might explain why he ended up handing his money over to a man named Jimmy, the mouth of the South heart. Jimmy, the mouth of the South heart. Jimmy planned to create a bikini wrestling league called Wrestlicious. (laughs) And 19-year-old Vargas thought that was a grand idea. He lost all of his money. Sad, sad. Amanda Clayton was living on welfare when she won the lottery. So you might imagine that her lifestyle changed significantly, dramatically after winning the lottery. However, unlike other lottery winners who were supremely careless with their winnings, Clayton uh, continued to claim her welfare checks. And when the state discovered this, she was sentenced for fraud. Sadly, she was found dead before her probation was up, killed by a drug overdose at the age of 25. Billy Bob Harrell Jr., perhaps one of the saddest lotto tales is that of Billy Bob. He was a preacher and a Home Depot bag boy. He came into $31 million after winning the Texas lottery in 1997. Unfortunately for him, he was soon swarmed with people happy to take advantage of his kindness and his money And as a result, he was penniless in two years and moreover, uh, tragically took his own life in 1999. Big things. Big things reveal big things. And we see it never more clear than in lottery winnings. Overnight successes, people who hadn't learned to manage money suddenly come into money And it's a big thing. (laughs) It's a great thing. But big things reveal big things. By the time the Lord has finished giving the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13 to his disciples, you may remember these parables. They're, They're pretty cool. Jesus says things like, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold everything he owned and bought the very field where the treasure lay. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought that pearl. Jesus is exposing hidden secrets of the kingdom to the disciples that Old Testament prophets had no clue about. The rabbis of the day, Pharisees, scholars of the day had, had no clue about Jesus while walking with the disciples. I mean, these, these disciples probably could have earned their postgraduate degree just hanging out with Jesus, right? In, in the school of faith, I suppose. But there is one thing they didn't realize. 
a lot like you and I fail to realize today. Faith must be trusted. Sorry, faith must be tested before it can be trusted. Big things reveal big things, and faith must be tested before it can be trusted. Listen, Satan does not care how much of the Bible you know. Can I get an amen or a thank God from someone in the room? Satan doesn't care how much of the Bible truth you learn as long as you don't live it. As long as all of your knowledge stays up here and never transfers into here to where you're actually living out the truth that is God's word, that thing which brings freedom into your life. He doesn't care how educated you are. He doesn't care if you can memorize the Ten Commandments or you know all of the fruits of the Spirit or you understand Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic or how all of the authors of the Bible weave together throughout the thousands of years of Bible history. He doesn't care how smart you are. He only cares how much you live out what you know. It is the truth that you adopted up here transforming your life in here. Ephesians 6, 6 says, obey them not only to win their favor with the, their eye on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Truth that is only academic in nature and never makes it into the heart will not transform your life. Satan knows that academic truth is not dangerous, but academic truth is. Satan is not afraid of your faith if your faith consists of, I know there's a God. Even the demons know there's a God. That's not saving faith. My question to you is, how are you and I more aware today understanding that faith must be tested before it is trusted I love it whenever people first get married and they say, oh, baby, I'm going to be faithful forever. I'm going to be loyal forever. Or friendships or coworkers, best friends, whatever it is. I'm going to be loyal forever. Your loyalty actually isn't able to be trusted until it's tested. Until you have that opportunity. You can say you're loyal all day long, but until you have the opportunity to be disloyal, until that loyalty is tested, it can't be trusted. I say this often, but it's like the man on a deserted island, he and his wife, and he says, baby, I'll be faithful to you forever. You're on a deserted island. You have no option but to be faithful, right? Put the same man in other contexts where women are hitting on him or he's hitting on women. Then suddenly faithfulness actually means something. Faith has to be tested before it can be trusted. I want God to do big things in my life. Heck, I'd even love to win the lottery. You buy me a ticket and I'll scratch it off. I'll even tie 15%, 20%. Heck, I'll do 50% on 3.5 million. I would love big things. But I dare not ask for big things if I don't have a big inner world. Because if my inner world is not big enough to hold a big external world, it will devastate me. Because big things reveal big things. Jesus is 
taking the disciples over to this place. He, he's leaving Galilee, and he goes on to this huge lake. It's, it, they call it a lake, but it's massive. It's like 16 miles by 9 miles. That's a pretty big lake. And they get in the lake, and if you were to read the text before the text that we read, you would know that a storm came, and he was asleep. And they're like, why are you sleeping? you got to save us. And he saves them, and all, all is well. They learned a very valuable lesson that Jesus was over the elements, right? Then they step on foot on this, this place, and the garrisons are there. Jesus steps off, and he's confronted by a, a demonized man. And we know, because we've already read the text, that that's all that he performs there. That's all he performs. They didn't go there, by the way, because it's a good vacation spot. We don't see in Scripture that they have really good tacos. We don't see that there's a really great bed and breakfast across the lake. Jesus is going there for a purpose, knowing he's only going to accomplish one thing. So it must be a big thing. Are you with me, church? We must be seeing in this story that God is doing a big thing. And what do big things reveal? Big things. And so what I want us to wrap our mind around today is, is what is it that God's trying to show us with this big thing? What is the big thing that he wants to reveal? And I've written it down. When God does a big thing, you know, like winning the lottery, when pigs fly, your kid's waking up and doing their chores right the first time. <laughs> when pigs fly... Or you have a marriage or a relationship where there's never any miscommunication whatsoever, and your spouse always knows exactly what you're thinking, right? <laughs> when pigs fly. But God is in control of pigs, too. He loves to do big things. Even things that you have said, oh, that'll happen when pigs fly. So when pigs finally do fly, when that big thing finally comes your way, what are the things that are going to be revealed? I've narrowed it down to four things. Uh, there are probably more, but I'm just going to talk about four today. And I'll go ahead and give you all four so you can write them down. It spells pigs, P-I-G-S. It reveals your priorities. It reveals your insecurities. It reveals your level of gratitude. And it reveals your level of surrender. I want to take you through this text. And let's see if we can pull these things out today. Verse 26, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Jesus went there to do a big thing, apparently. Verse 27, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in the house. So he's been, he's been naked for, for a while now. He didn't just, just strip down. He's been naked in the elements for a while. There is, there is dirt in places that you don't want to see where dirt is. Like this guy, you know, he's dirty. He's stinky. He's unkept. He, he's nasty. He's lived there for a very, very, very long time. He lived in the tombs when he saw Jesus though he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Now, I love this verse. By the way, I'm going to pause and set up camp here for just a moment. I love this verse because we see demons inside a man 
communicating that they understand the authority of that which stands before them. That's good news. That's good. They're not there rolling up the sleeves, ready to fight. They're not even putting on a poker face. They understand in that moment that they have been outnumbered by one. Are you with me? I, lo I love that. I love that. Verse 28, 29, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied. Now, legion means approximately 6,000. The Roman legion had anywhere from four to 6,000 soldiers in it, but typically it was closer to the 6,000. That means that this man is hosting some 6,000 demons. That's a party I don't want to attend, right? But 6,000 demons are inside of him because many demons had gone into him and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. Now there is ancient, um, there is ancient text that kind of describes Old Testament, it's commentary. And it, it talks about four characteristics of madness. Mad, like crazy, not mad, not angry, because I didn't get to sit at Chili's in time. No, it's like madness had, had lost their mind. And in this time, there were, there were four, four elements that proved your madness. One is walking outside at night. One of them is spending the night on a grave. <laughs> no. Another one is tearing one's clothes. Tearing your own clothes was a sign of madness. Um, and then destroying what one was given. So if you were given something and you intentionally destroyed it, that was madness. It just didn't happen. This man demonstrated all four characteristics of madness. However, it wasn't just that he was mentally ill. He was demonized. He was demon-possessed. Demon-possessed. Now, I, I have to stop here. This isn't a series called Demonology. Somebody say amen. Thank you, Jesus. But I do want to talk about demons for a moment. Is that okay? Because it's a subject that I'm not afraid of, and I'm afraid that you might be, or some of you might be. And the reality is um, there are demons among us, just as there are angels. I know, I know. I, when you pray over your toddler, you don't say, now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Let the angels come around and keep the demons far from us. You don't say that to your toddler, right? You, you think about angels all the time or in our conversation. Oh, she's just an angel. Um, anyone ever called your kid a demon? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I saw some heads getting ready to nod. I'm saving you. Demons are real. They are real. They were real in scripture. They are real today. Also, did you know that demons pray? Demons have faith. It's not a saving faith, but they do have faith. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
demons believe in God. How scary is that? That sometimes demons have more faith than we do. Two demonized men meet Jesus. Wait, Pastor Luke only talks about one. You're right. He only talks about one. Uh, we see in parallel uh, stories in Scripture that there were actually two men. Luke is only talking about one because he was the most vile, the most violent, the one that the town was most scared about. He is also the one uh, that Jesus sent to tell at the end of the story all about what happened. And so there was a second man who either didn't go and tell or he just wasn't as bad. So Luke doesn't mention him. If you want to read about the second guy, feel free to. It's in Matthew chapter 8. You can read about Matthew or read about the two, but I just want to talk about the one. Here, the, the two men who are demon-possessed, they are naked, not pretty naked. They are naked. They have been living in the tombs, in the graveyard. They've been in isolation. Demonic activity will isolate you. It will pull you out of the land of the living and into the land of the dying. Demonic activity will cause you to be paranoid. Demonic activity will make you think that everyone is out to get you. Demonic activity will also make you think you are better than you think you are. No. Demonic activity will make you think you are better than you actually are. It will build up pride inside of you. They did believe, the demons, that Jesus had ultimate authority. We see that very clearly in Scripture. Now, I, I see often two mistakes with Christians and demons. You want to know what they are? Two mistakes that Christians make regarding demons. One is very common. They're both very, very, very too common. I'm going to tell you so that you don't make the same mistakes. One mistake regarding demon, it, demons is people believe that everything is a demon. Everything is a demon. The leaves turned brown in October. It's demonic activity. No, it's called fall. It's autumn. Right? Everything is a demon. Somebody sneezes and you think it's a demon trying to get out. I don't know. You just, every, everything is a demon. We do that. We over-spiritualize everything. You know what? Because it's easier to blame a demon than to blame our own habits, patterns, proclivities, and the things that we've given access to in our life. I actually think that sometimes the devil doesn't even work in your life as much as you think that he does because you've already granted him access long ago. Now you're on autopilot and he has his demons working on someone else. Why pay his demons to do work that you're doing for him? Unforgiveness, bitterness, sloth, all of these things that he tried to get you to buy into and you bought into it and you actually believe that's who you were. So now you function that way because you believe the lie. Some people believe it's always a demon, but then you have other people. God bless their heart. Nothing is a demon. Demons died in Bible times. There's only good spirits out there. It's only angels, only, only the good, you know, Casper, the friendly ghost. They never acknowledge that it's Satan. And I get that's, that helps you sleep at night, right? Wouldn't it be nice just to not think there are demons? That, or is that just me? Are you with me? It provides a little bit of solace to be like, oh, there's nothing lurking around the corner trying to get me. 
I don't need to wake up and pray over my kids who live in Australia or pray over the grandbaby that's about to come because the enemy's not trying to kill my grandkid that's not even born yet. I don't need to worry about that. The problem is I give him more access in my world when I don't understand that there is a very real enemy trying now in Australia to rip out the legacy that Carrie and I have. It's real. It happens. Now, I don't know where you you balance that. Maybe we blame too much on the devil. Maybe we don't blame enough on the devil. Here's what I do know, though. If you surrender your heart to the Lord and you ask for discernment, you work those things out slowly. If you blame the devil a little too much, well, that's okay. He's probably done some things he didn't get credit for in the past. P. I G S. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. The herd rushed down into the, the steep bank, verse 20, 33. 33. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demon had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, fully dressed, fully dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. This is the man that they pushed out of their community. They pushed out of time. They had him under lock and key, and now he's sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they are afraid. Verse 35. The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man sitting dressed in his right mind. They were afraid. Next. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. What is the big thing that happened? What is the big thing that was revealed? Priorities. The people of the land cared more about the pigs than the people. And I wonder what big thing can God not release in our life because we care more about the pigs than the person. We care about more about what we're going to accumulate or our name, our reputation, how this is going to look than the person that is hurting. They sent Jesus away for one of two reasons. The first reason was that pigs were their livelihood. This was not a Jewish community. That's why they're raising pigs. They're raising pigs. It's a Gentile community. And, and he throws the pigs into the ocean. Why did he do that? That's a whole other sermon that's fun to talk about, but just not in this one because I'm out of time. But he throws the pigs out into the water. This could be their livelihood. This could mean calamity for the town. So maybe they wanted Jesus to go because they cared more about pigs than a person. The second is because this was not a Jewish town and they've heard of the Messiah coming. They've not heard of the Messiah coming. The only thing they had ever seen similar to this kind of behavior from Jesus was that from a magician. 
a sorcerer, evil people. So they didn't trust him. They were afraid. They were afraid to be vulnerable with something they didn't understand. It revealed their insecurities. It revealed their priorities. It revealed their insecurities. And then we see this man who was healed come up to Jesus and he says, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. I'm, I'm just so grateful for what you've done for me. And in this series called Follow Me, I'm closing it out with a sermon where Jesus doesn't say follow me. He says stay here. Because there's a difference between being a disciple and a witness. Some of you, the Lord is saying, stay here. Be a witness for the thing that I've done in your life among the people that you're with. I, I, don't, I don't need you to go here and do this or go there and do that. I need you, to, need you to stay here and be a witness. Gratitude will be revealed when big things happen. Big good things and big bad things will always reveal our level of gratitude. And finally, our level of surrender. The guy went. He stayed and he went. And as Jesus sailed across the water, he looked back, I imagine, at this town of people and potentially floating pigs. And he said, I'm, I'm leaving a man who has surrendered to the call that I've placed on his life. And he'll bring the message to all of those who don't yet believe. Big things don't just reveal more money. Big things don't just reveal more problems. Big things will always reveal your priorities, your insecurities, your level of gratitude, and your level of surrender. Let us pray. Father, I come before you today. I thank you. God, that you are a big God and you love to do big things. God, I ask that our inner world will begin to expand and, and grow so that we can host the big things that you have for us. God, I, I know that you don't want to release blessing that would destroy us. God, you want to release big things on big people. So I ask that in the coming seven days that you would just bring an awareness to us what are the insecurities, the lies that we've been believing? That, that thing that keeps us stuck in our current level of circumstance. God, I trust to know that every single person in this room is better than they think they are. Every person in this room that has said yes to you, God, they have a capacity that far exceeds their current ability. So, God, we give you full permission to do big things among us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Can you give Jesus a hand clap this morning?